Welcome back to I Loved This Conversation, my podcast where I talk to creative people about what's currently going on in their creative lives. I'm Alex Salzberg. My creative life is as an animator, among other things, but mostly animating right now and directing animation. And today's guest is Mickey Grouse, who I met when he DJed for my wedding. I'm recording this intro from Connecticut. If you listened last week, you know that we're in Connecticut living on a summer camp, which is very empty in the winter, and I am really enjoying the quiet. It's perfect timing with a big project that I have to finish up while I'm here, so it's nice. Not much else to report. We mentioned in the episode an event that Mickey hosted after we recorded around New Year's, and as an update, we did go to it, and it was awesome. I I don't know about all of you, but I get extra emotional at events and creative events, concerts and film festivals and meetups, and in this case, a, a dance party. Things that creative people make something out of nothing for the benefit of all of us. And I've always felt a little emotional around that stuff and so inspired and just like feels good. But obviously, I'm sure there's some pandemic related feelings in there. Anytime I have the privilege of gathering with other people, I I get a little choked up about it. And um, it seems meaningless, but I keep saying over and over, like, it's good to do stuff. It's good to do stuff. Go do some stuff if you can. Um, I love talking to Mickey Grouse about DJing. He had some great stories. We also touch on rejection. We touch on rethinking our careers in light of the pandemic, or at least the balance of our careers. We touch on weighing our art against our clients' expectations, something that plays out in real time uh, when you're DJing a party. And it was so fun learning so much about Mickey and hearing his great DJing stories. And I think you're really going to like this episode. So why don't we meet our guest and hear his connection to me. I'm Mickey, and I know Alex because I DJed his wedding. Yes, and uh, it was awesome and feels like a long time ago now. It really does feel like a long time. All right, well, I'm going to open with a big question, Mickey. What is something that's currently going on in your creative life or where your creative life overlaps with your entire life? I guess the big question is what's next? Going into the pandemic, I was burnt out. My two kind of jobs were DJing and then also um, coaching CrossFit. And really by like February of 2020, I was like, I'm so burnt out. I don't know why I'm so burnt out. Mm. So when things kind of locked down, I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) This is kind of a good excuse to get off the the merry-go-round for a little bit. And then I've been kind of experimenting and finding all of the things that I'm not good at. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm still maintaining like the DJ stuff. I'm coaching on a much, much more restricted basis, still doing parties and stuff, doing weddings, of course. Right. But like the weekly in and out of clubs and bars... I miss it a little bit, but it took me about a year and a half into it to be like, oh, that would really be really cool to do that again. So is is that what that merry-go-round you mentioned looked like? DJing at least once a week and then also coaching really often? Yeah, or even DJing multiple times a week. And I would usually coach the morning classes at the gym. So it was like there was one night where... I was doing an after party at the House of Blues. I think I got home at three and then my alarm was four. 
And I would catch up on sleep, of course. Mm -hmm. But even doing that once or twice a month or whatever it is, it wears on you a little bit. (laughs) I mean, sometimes I feel like I'm a baby about this. I had an overnight flight on last Tuesday, and I feel like I'm still recovering. (laughs) I think by then I didn't have the energy for it. (laughs) I was just like, (laughs) oh, my God. (laughs) So it sounds like in general you kind of welcomed that break. You're now in this period where the... uh, pandemic has has shifted to a time where people are leaving the house and going to gyms and and clubs and bars and weddings. As you're entering back into it, do you feel there's a conscious decision of like how much to dive back in versus trying to honor the party that was burnt out two years ago and maybe would want you to be doing something different now? Well, in terms of DJing, at least on the kind of private events, I try not to burn myself out too much just because weddings are a lot of work. I think I did one wedding season where it was like 18 weddings and I was just so burnt out by that because you're basically on at attention for that entire day from whatever it is, 11 until 11 or 11 till 1 a.m. And I just said, I don't think I'm doing justice to my couples if I do that. I noticed when we were looking for DJs, we found out about you not from much of a web presence, but from sort of just like another DJ who recommended you. Have you like purposely sort of kept yourself more off the grid in that sense? Yeah, a little bit. There's this kind of whole cottage industry around weddings and whatnot that are like, well, if you want to be on the knot or Mm -hmm. this and that, the other thing, then you got to have this subscription. And I'm like, I get enough, just enough business that I don't need to have those referrals. And in fact, from what I've understood, a lot of times like those referrals are not great. Yeah. So I generally, generally keep a pretty low profile about most things. (laughs) Right, right. Well, so I want to get into DJing because it's an, it's a art form that I actually don't know much about what the other side of that, the other side of the turntable or whatever you'd call it is. Do you feel there's any misconceptions about what a DJ is that you like to push against? So, yes, there are misconceptions. One is that the DJ is the jukebox Mm -hmm. and that you just kind of like give them uh, whatever songs you want to hear and that's what it is. But like the first DJs, they were spinning breaks, you know, they would pick a 16 bar little melody or a a dance break, they'd play that, and then they'd go to the other side of the, the the turntable and they'd play the same thing. So you'd go back and forth and you could have a, a three or four minute song based just on the dance break. So I would say that my job as a DJ is to keep the party going. And part of that is A, hopefully finding the best music, and then also playing it in such a way that is musical and hopefully artistic, so that it's not just one song smashing into another song. And we've all heard that, and you can hear that if you use um, crossfader mode on your iPod or your phone, and, right, and they right. don't really mesh together. And I kind of think that the DJ is creating a conversation, and in order to create that conversation, you need to be able to mix those two pieces together. Every song generally has vocals, melody, and just say drums. So you're taking song A and you want to transition to song B, one of the most common things is you can bring in song B without the melody and without the vocals. And then you just kind of flip the faders so that the drums come in for song B and then you turn off the drums for song A. And then hopefully if everything works well, then you can kind of turn the vocals on for song B right as the vocals for song A are going out. What is your origin story for DJing? Like what made you want to go learn that craft? You know, you have all these memes that are like kids today don't understand where they've got a a tape recorder and you have to hold it in front of like the radio to catch the song that you were playing. I I remember that. And I used to always do that and I would make mixtapes. I did like a remix of Buffalo Stance at one point 
And my sister's like, why does this not sound like the radio version? I was like, well, I copied it onto one thing and onto the other, and I like looped it all together. I have to dig that up, but it probably sounded like crap. <laughs> I wish I knew about this before my wedding I would want the, <laughs> the, for the first dance. <laughs> but so I, as a kid, I was always doing that. I think I was in college. Nowadays, they say someone passed you the ox. But basically, someone's like, oh, do you want to play music for this party? Mm. And I played the music, and people are like, oh, this is fun. And of course, every so often, you play just a big clunker. People don't know the song. <laughs> but once you, <laughs> you know, if you're enough of an egomaniac, and you see that you can influence people's ability to have fun and dance, you will chase that for the rest of your life. What does that feel like when you see a full dance floor? I mean, it's probably scientifically, you know, the same thing as getting high. And you just, I think you just chase that. And I, I talk to my friends, my DJ friends about that all the time. This summer, my friend, DJ T-Rex, we had a lot of kind of 12, 30, one o'clock conversations because we'd be driving home from our gigs or mm. weddings. And he said one day, he said, I just had that party that I couldn't do anything wrong. Anything I threw on there, <laughs> people danced to. Every song I played, I got a woo out of. Everyone, I got a thumbs up. And he said, it's really sad because, and this was September, I think. And he said, that's the first one this year. <laughs> He's like, it's been a rough year. Wow. <laughs> and I said, I've been there. And I've been there for that amount of time. And you have to remind yourself, it's not that you're bad. Well, okay, maybe you were bad that day. But it's not exclusively that you were bad. Right. It's that there's so many other things that go into it. What is that feeling when you're having trouble getting people out on the dance floor, sustaining it? If you are able to quick mix out of a song and you see mm -hmm. something's not happening, it's not going the way you think, you can be like, all right, well, this is going to be 14 more bars and I'm out of this song. And sometimes you just, you fall flat and you have to deal with that. Does it feel easy to shake that off or is it, because I, I just feel like, Times when I've had anything fall flat artistically or performance-wise, man, my drive home is, is rough. I, I don't, what's, your, what's your ability to shake off those tough, whether it's a wedding or a club or whatever? You have to shake it off. If you don't, you're going to be in trouble. Mm -hmm. What do they say about short memories, basically? That's going to make you stronger or less stronger. <laughs> it's not easy. And that's only if you feel like it's not going well. There are plenty mm -hmm. of times when people say, oh, that was great. And you're like, was it? Right, right. <laughs> there was one wedding in the last two years where I had some aunties yell at me for, I think it was eight or nine minutes consecutively. And I, I'm not not proud to say, but I kind of shut down like emotionally. I was just oh, like, God. I was like, oh, okay. I don't know how to deal with this. They said, oh, well, you, you need to play this song. You were playing this kind of music before. And I played it and I kind of just backed away from the decks. And then they would stay there still kind of yelling at me. And then I would play another song that they were requesting and I would just play it. Meanwhile, I could see out of the corner of my eyes that the dance floor is clearing because that music wasn't what was wanted. Yeah, you have to have a short memory. Otherwise, if you, if you <laughs> dwell on that, oh my gosh. <laughs> I went to a wedding. I hope whoever's wedding this is, they aren't listening. It was actually a really great wedding, but there was kind of a request anarchy. They had a system of like sheets of paper where people could request, and there was an overestimation of how cute it was for a kid to repeatedly dedicate very slow country songs to his mom, like a five-year-old. How you handle requests or what your feelings on them are. Like, would you rather there were none, or do you like when there's some input, obviously not like aunts yelling at you for 10 minutes. Yeah. But. <laughs> I like requests. I think it helps shape the event. If someone asks for something and I'm like, I don't know if that's really going to work, but just say they're looking for a uh, Michael Jackson song and they're asking for Billie Jean. I'm like, all right, well, <laughs> I really don't want to play that. 
but maybe don't stop to get enough, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to work because it's in the tempo, it's in the key, it's whatever. So I like to honor the spirit of the requests. And usually people are cool with that. The problem is when they're like, no, no, I wanted that particular song. Right. And they come back and they're kind of mean mugging you. And then you know, okay, well, I now have learned something about that person. <laughs> <laughs> I had one bride who said, you're going to get somebody who's requesting, and I forget what the song was. Bob is uh, the, the groom's friend, and he's going to request this song. Under no circumstances do you play that song. And I said, okay. And I was going through the whole wedding. And I was like, oh, Bob hasn't come up yet. This yeah. is great. And the wedding was supposed to end at 11. And at 1055, this guy stumbles up drunk as a skunk. And I said, are you Bob? And he <laughs> says, yes. I said, I'm not going to play your song. He says, did they tell you to say that? <laughs> I guess like this is for all of us who do client work. It's like we have to compromise the art that we're excited about with, you know, all these factors. But weddings in particular have like all these unpredictable factors of, I know with our wedding, we had this like tight timeline that just like immediately went to shit. And our wedding was fun, but like. Yes, it was. Our timeline, there was just a lot of me running up to you and being like, we're doing this now and then this. <laughs> well, people are eating dinner now, so we can't do this. And I was doing all those calculations. When when that stuff comes up, how do you sort of manage that with your own expectations of like what you want the night to look like? I think you have to roll with it. Yeah. You're not there as the center of attention, the focus. You're there to kind of facilitate the fun when the fun begins and then also give a like a preview of what the fun is going to be. Right. So you might be having dinner now, but this is still going to be a fun time. And there are certain things that you can do to help move things along. But some of them, some of those things you just have to be flexible with. Again, if, you know, short memories and being flexible. And, and while you're DJing at any kind of event, on the range of like something where you're completely mentally active and like hyper-focused the whole time to like you get in the zone and like a flow state and you almost like, not blackout, but like, you <laughs> right. know, where are you on that scale? Um, so for something like a house party or a bar event, I can get into that state of flow pretty quickly because everybody's there and their purpose is to get a little, little drink in them, have some food, maybe grind up on somebody. But that's kind of the thing that they're there to do. Right. Everybody's on the same page, at least in the, in the scope of things that they could possibly do. At a wedding, sometimes people want to talk to their friends. Sometimes people want to do all these things. So I would say that usually for me, I don't hit flow in a wedding until maybe 30 minutes into the like the dancing portion of things. Yeah, yeah. Because everything else, you should be paying attention. You right. know, during the ceremony, you should be pay att paying attention to volumes and whether there's feedback. And then if there's going to be a, a first dance or toasts, you have to be kind of paying attention to whoever's going to be doing that. So you do have to be very much on most of the time. And then once the party starts, you're more likely to, to hit that state of flow. And so like, even when you have to do these very technical things of paying attention to how fast a song is or the pitch or whatever, I, I, does that stuff sort of enter the flow even? Like that kind of comes second nature? It's pretty much second nature until you mess up. <laughs> and then I always just... When there's something that happens that I just mess up, I'm like, well, at least you know I was doing it live. Right. <laughs> this is not pre-recorded. So, uh, yeah, mistakes are a good thing. <laughs> okay, so you have an event coming up um, the day before New Year's Eve. Unfortunately, I'd love to help you promote that, but this, I think, will come out after that. Because it went great. It, it went, went so wonderfully. <laughs> it, was, it was super fun. We may come to that, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, it looks like fun. We're looking for New Year's stuff to do. And to also dance to your DJing when we're not super stressed out. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Oh, uh, boy. But anyway, so you're preparing for that event. How 
soon do you start preparing and what does that preparation look like, if, if any? Or do you just sort of show up and enter that flow state? I mean, something like that is much more involved because we're going to have the fantastic feature faded drag queen. It's the same sort of thing as a wedding where there are going to be these signposts. And then in terms of like, I guess, other kinds of events, like whether you can compare wedding or just like if you're doing a set at a bar or a club, what does that preparation look like? I mean, I guess I've seen the wedding preparation, which is like yeah. lots of chats with the bride and groom. <laughs> lots of notes, yeah. lots of pieces of paper. For like a bar gig, I used to really not do a whole lot of preparation. So um, DJ T-Rex and I used to DJ at the old 6B Lounge, which is now called Roxanne's. I wouldn't do very much preparation because it was 90s and kind of 2000s night. No new music comes out. So you can kind of say, well, what kind of vibe do I want to feel? It's more, um, I guess, reading the situation rather than prepping the music itself. It's much more spontaneous, I think. So I'd walk in there and I'd say, oh, it's really busy. It's really cranking right now. There's some people from the state house, it looks like. Oh, <laughs> it looks like there's a bachelorette party forming. I know this group is going to go to um, this other bar, but if that other bar sucks, they're going to come back and they're going to mm. want to hear this kind of music. There's the Boston Social Sports Club. If you had them in on a Friday night, you knew it was going to be a good time. <laughs> right. <laughs> you're seeing like these groups of people and you're doing this diagnosing almost of the dance floor. Right. I guess this is not a perfect metaphor, but like, let's say the metaphor is that if we're comparing this to like creating a painting, what is the brush? What is the canvas? Is the canvas the dance floor? Is the canvas the party? Is the canvas the sound? Oh. I'm, I'm setting up a weird metaphor here, but because what I'm hearing in a sense is that like the piece of art you're creating is not the music itself almost, but it's the enjoyment or the party or the vibe, for lack of a better word. No, that's that's exactly the word I was going to say. So I think the painting, the, the product is probably the vibe or the end of night feeling. The paint is probably the, um, the music. And then the brush is just all the other, the gadgets, cool. the speakers. How do you gauge that end of night feeling? Like what, what are the signs when the lights go on? So I think you have to get a composite of everything. You could have a group at the end of the night. You may have gone from 150 people to 25 people, but it could be that those 25 people were there. I remember there was one, they were doing a, a rehearsal dinner the Friday night before the, the, the Saturday wedding and they partied down <laughs> till 2 a.m. And it was, it was everybody. It was people who were in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. And they said, we should have hired you. I was like, well, you didn't know about <laughs> me. <laughs> oh, so you, were, you weren't the wedding. Oh, I, was, I see. They were out at a bar. They were out at a bar, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's funny. They were out at a bar. And I said, well, you know, you had, you had a good time tonight, right? And they said, yeah, we had a good time. I was like, that's all that matters. <laughs> at the end of the night at a wedding, is there something you look for for like, how'd that go? There's just so many more layers to a wedding. Yeah, I mean, I guess... People are a little bit tipsy and they're sweaty, tired. I mean, mm. I think that's what it is. Yeah. They kind of forgot themselves for a little bit, you know, and you got to be safe about it, you know, yeah, no drinking yeah. and driving and all that. But um, I think that's it, tired and, and happy. So if you see those kind of faces, then that's that's a good a good mark. So it seems like often DJing goes really hand in hand with these like bar venues where either there's alcohol or darkness or all these different things. Have you ever done any like sort of non-traditional venues or venues that don't have those factors? So I did this wedding where it was, it was a fun time, but it was very, very proper and very, very polite. And one of the things that I saw was at that wedding, they had overhead lights up the entire time. And then I realized 
you know, it was probably about 45 minutes till the end of the wedding. And that's usually when things pick up because mm-hmm. people have had a little bit to drink and their inhibitions have fallen away. And this crowd was definitely, a, they wanted to have a good time. And it just wasn't happening. And I was like, man, it would be really great if those, if we could turn those overhead lights off. And I couldn't get a hold of the host, the the owner. And then at the end of the night, he said, he looked around, he said, one broken glass. That's a good night. (laughs) And I said, oh, we're working to two separate goals here. (laughs) Completely opposite goals. (laughs) I sometimes ask the venue, oh, is there somebody in charge of the overhead lights? Mm. Because people don't want to be looking at each other doing funny stuff, you know, getting down. And it helps. When we were looking for DJs, we watched a lot of YouTube videos of weddings. And I'm seeing like what I look like at a wedding. You know, (laughs) not me particularly, but I'm like, oh, that's what I look like when I'm singing along to that song and like sweaty and... Full of joy. Full of joy. (laughs) But it doesn't capture well on video. And I think maybe that's what you're speaking to with like, we we don't need to shed light on it. Something about the darkness, not that it's a secret, like we we should be excited about this joy and this letting loose of inhibitions where we don't care if we're bad at singing or dancing. Do you like being on the other side of the table? How do you feel when you're just at a party and someone else is DJing and you're just on the dance floor? (laughs) Would I rather be DJing a party or attending a party? Definitely DJing a party, Mm. for sure, because... I mean, that's kind of the level of social socialization I want to do. I want to talk to somebody every whatever, 10 minutes. Right. <laughs> but you can't do that as a guest necessarily. Is there a control thing there? Not in a bad way. I'm, I'm sure there is. So there are times, and I do my best to not judge other DJs because they're all coming from different places. Some people are really, really good MCs. They're very charming and they can, they're like Bob Barker. And I don't think I'm there necessarily. I think I like my music selection. I like selecting music more than I like MCing. The one thing I do judge people on is when they just train wreck every song. What does that mean, train wreck? When like you might hear galloping. So next time you're at like a club, you might hear the beats of one song coming in, but out of sync with the first one. So it's like, uh, it sounds like it's galloping, basically, like a horse. I feel as though if your job is to keep the party going without an interruption, then you should not let the structure of the songs clash with each other. But again, everybody's coming from different places. Some people are really good at getting people in the door. And this is something that I said to a friend of mine. I said, oh, well, this DJ's awful because they, they don't even beat match. And he said, yeah, but he brings in you know, 700 people every time he goes to a bar. How about you? And I was like, (laughs) gee, thanks. (laughs) Do you feel it's important to you to bring in 700 people or are you more do the gigs you like and hope your, your people show up? It's a balance. If you only do the things that you want to do, then you're gonna have to work really hard to do it and probably Mm -hmm. not make that much money doing it. I remember there was one time where I wanted to do a, a particular kind of music. And I think the ads that I took out in order to get people through the door basically ate up everything that I got paid. (laughs) And was it a fun party? Did I meet a lot of cool people? Yes. But is that a sustainable business model? No, it's not. (laughs) This is like asking for a hot take maybe, but are there any songs that you sort of are against the grain on that like everyone loves, you have to play them at weddings sometimes, but you just can't stand? Like what's on your do not playlist if you were asking another DJ to play an event for you. Alex, I would I would never put any song on the Do Not <laughs> Playlist. Uh, <laughs> You're like, cut this out. <laughs> no, let's see. There are songs 
this is going to be a horrible hot take because I actually <laughs> like the song. So the song, Whitney Houston, I Want to Dance with Somebody Who Loves Me. I like the song. It's just yeah. that everybody wants to hear that song. Everybody does. And so like, if you can do something a little bit different with it, then that's, that's fun. But in terms of the context of the song, so we talked, we began talking about like the original DJs and doing breaks, taking the best part of the song. Yeah. And I've done this before at weddings and I've done this before in clubs. You'll just play one verse and then you'll just play the, don't you want to dance? Say you want to don't, don't you want to dance? And you play that over and over for about two and a half minutes. And pe when people finally get that that's what you're doing. And then when the, um, when it finally resolves to with somebody who loves me, people are just like, oh my God, that was a release. <laughs> it reminds me of when we were prepping for the wedding, you had a list of, I think about a dozen songs or something, and you were asking us to kind of rate how we felt about them. Right. And yeah. how did you come up with that list? I, I can't remember everything on that list, but some of the songs seemed to represent like line dancey kind of things. Some of them represented really common songs that people sing along to, like Don't Stop Believing, or I don't know if that was on the list, but things like that. I know my wife hates when that plays at wedding, so. Right. And she'd be happy for me to tell the world. But uh, how did you come up with that list? That was actually on a list of most played wedding songs. And I said, I'm just going to start asking people about this. Mm. And I always try to preface it. There's no judgment about this. Right. Out of these songs, I li personally like three or four of five of them. So if you say that you don't like it, or if you say you really <laughs> like it, and I don't like it, there's no judgment. But I need to know where where we are on that spectrum. Have you ever done either a school dance or a bar bat mitzvah, like where the audience is, you know, middle schoolers? I did, um, last summer, a friend of mine had me do his daughter's fifth grade, like graduation oh, wow. party. And that was so much fun, but I was so ill-prepared for that because <laughs> they were asking me, and some of it was the little boys who were trying to get me to play bad words over the airwaves. And I was like, <laughs> I know I'm not playing uh, Roddy Rich the box because I know <laughs> I know I don't have the clean version of that song. Right. I just did a bat mitzvah last weekend, and the parents were like, "Well, <laughs> they said <laughs> yes, this is her party, but it's also our party." So it was a fifty-fifty mix of songs from the seventies, eighties, and nineties, two thousands, and then the kids' songs. I had a bar mitzvah, and I grew up in a town where there were a lot of other. Jewish kids. So I went to a lot of bar mitzvahs and it makes me think like at a young age, I went to so many more DJ dance events than maybe the average American kid. Like there are school dances every couple months, but every weekend I went out dancing and when I was 13. Yeah. And um, there must be so many other layers even to that of like on the dance floor. I mean, not that there isn't social anxiety for adults on dance floors, but the hormone factor of seventh right. graders and like who's dancing with who to what. I did see that with this, this bat mitzvah last weekend. And it, it was really interesting because there were some of the boys that were clearly, you know, more mature. And then there were both uh, boys and girls who were, you know, they were kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they were just like, well, we want to do the, um, what is it? The sturdy dance where you have, it's basic. I, I don't know how to describe it. It's something on TikTok, apparently. Okay, yeah, I don't know that one. I mean, well, yeah, when I was bar mitzvah, it was like the Macarena was very big then, and the, what's the other, the Cotton Eye Joe, Cotton which, Eye which Joe. still are kind of holding on. And then yeah. we also, were, it was very big when we were kids. I don't know if they still do it. Snowball dances? Do they still do that? Oh, for, uh, it's around Christmas, right? No, oh. no, it's a specific, so it's um, <laughs> at a bar mitzvah, they play a, a slow dance oh. song, and, and then 
when you're the bar mitzvah boy or the or the bat mitzvah girl, you it's like a it's like a first dance kind of like you have to pick someone to dance with. And for the first 10, 15 seconds, just you're out there dancing. And then the DJ says snowball and you split up and you pick people and, and it's exponentially, oh, oh. you know, by the end of the song, everyone's on the dance floor. But maybe it's good if they don't do this anymore. The anxiety of having to like every 10 seconds ask someone to dance. Um, and then also the anxiety. I remember thinking for weeks ahead of time, like I have to know who I'm picking for the snowball. It can't be the girl that I have a crush on. That's too obvious. <laughs> it can't be a girl who has a crush on me that I don't like back. So I had to be like, think of like the safe choice of a female friend who like wouldn't read into it, but also other people wouldn't read into it. So many factors. It sounds like you had options. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, well, you have to you have to go first when it's your bar mitzvah. Right. But but there's the other side <laughs> when you're when you're standing on the side and you're like, please somebody somebody please. pick me. You're trying to like look approachable. And then there, I just remember I could talk for hours about the dynamics. All a nightmare. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> I I want to. I know we talked a lot about DJing because um, clearly I'm interested in it. Maybe maybe we figured out that it's because I went to like a hundred bar mitzvahs. Yeah. I, I do want to ask about the other stuff you're interested in. I know you, um, that CrossFit has been a, a part of your career. And also I just, I get the sense from your online presence that you have some interest in photography and food and maybe where those things overlap. What what else are you into? I want to learn about you. Oh gosh. Uh, so <laughs> I joked the other day that my Instagram presence is stuck probably seven or eight years ago. <laughs> the whole strategy is like, oh, look, this is a picture of my dog. Hey, this is what I ate. And nowadays it's all about the reels and it's all yeah. about video. And I'm like, I don't know how to do that. It's a lot of work. Yeah. So in related, I guess in relation to that, one of my kind of pet missions is to debunk the myth of New York City pizza superiority. Whoa, that is a much hotter take than your Whitney Houston take. Yeah. But I'm here for it. Go on. Destroy New York pizza. <laughs> One slice at a time. Because everybody talks about, oh, well, New York pizza is the best pizza. Ten years ago, my sister, some friends, and I, we all did a road trip. And we, we had some pizza from Boston, some pizza from New Haven, and pizza from New York. The group was split between people from New York and from Boston. And everybody decided that New Haven was the best pizza. And so from that, I said, well you know, maybe Detroit. And then I think sometime after that, my friend got married in um, Italy and went, we went to Naples and I was like, oh, so this is what pizza's supposed to be like. Right. Somebody once said, once a place is known for something, that place that is known for that thing gets lazy. So they're like, the best Philly cheesesteaks are not in Philly. The best pizza is not in New York. They get complacent. Do you think it's also maybe there's pressure to not experiment? Because in if you're in Philly, people are going to be like, well, that's not a real cheesesteak. Or if you're in New York, that's not a real bagel. That's not real New York pizza. Right. Yeah, I would say that. So you're, you're definitely passionate about food. We kind of started this with like the what's next. Are there things career-wise outside of DJing and CrossFit that you are kind of looking at, out on the horizon at? to fill that time? Or is it more about just like kind of balancing those things differently than before the pandemic? I'll probably always be DJing in some way uh, for the rest of my life. The coaching thing, in terms of developing the coaching thing, I think there's a, a large unmet need for physical fitness and personal training for older people, mm -hmm. 75 and above. I work with my dad doing that. And I, I realized that one of the things that prevents him from being more physically active is I think he's afraid of falling. He's afraid right. of, you know, the things that could possibly happen to him. So I think it's important to have somebody 
be that companion to help them along that journey. So we've been working on strength and flexibility and stuff like that. The other thing that I've been throwing around is I've been planting things and trying to figure out like a, a project and figure out, well, you know, if I collect these seeds and plant them, could I sell them? Could I donate them? There's this organization that plants trees in like Roslindale and JP and all that. I'm like, oh, well, if I plant these and I get good at growing these trees, will someone take them and put them in a better place? And I think that's kind of cool. I was down in Connecticut a couple of months ago now, and I was driving around and I saw like a neighborhood that just had these probably 50-year-old Japanese maples. And it was maybe a, just say two by two mile square area where it was just all of these beautiful Japanese maples just everywhere. And I said, someone 50 years ago decided to right, do this. Right, right. Someone 50 years ago decided to do this. And I was like, that would be cool. That would be a cool thing to kind of say that you did. Yeah. And kind of fun. And I, I've had one house plant over the last <laughs> X number of decades. And um, I've just gotten into kind of knowing how to grow it and propagate and all that stuff. How long have you been in the Boston area? And do you feel you're in, in the Boston area for a long haul? Like the planting trees feels like such an investment in, in community. I grew up around here and I did go to California for six years. It was four years in Northern California and then two years in Southern. It rained twice basically in two years. And I said, I miss the rain. And whenever it rains now, I'm like, you missed this. You came back for this. Right. Just, just a reminder. <laughs> just a reminder when it's cold, when it's too hot, when it's humid, you wanted this because yeah. you didn't like the fact that it was 75, 80 degrees and sunny every day. But yeah, I think I'm probably going to be here for for the longish haul. You know, if there's a once in a lifetime opportunity, you yeah. have to take it. What do you like about being a, a creative person in the Boston area specifically? I think Boston is a great town for someone who wants it to be part of their life, but it doesn't have to take over their life. Mm. So there are lots of opportunities. Um, it took a little bit of work and, and a lot of luck and, and, fr and making the right friends and all of that and them taking pity on me. But <laughs> I worked hard for a couple of years. It was something I wanted to do to, to DJ and all that. And I was able to get that done. So that's something that's really nice, that the community will show up when you work for it, I think. All right, well, let's jump into the lightning round before oh, no. we wrap up. <laughs> Your answers do not have to be swift or clever or lightning fast in any way. What is something you've learned the hard way that you would be happy if other people just learned it the easy way, didn't have to go through what you went through, and they could just listen to this podcast and have a, an easier time than you? This probably doesn't have to do with creativity so much. I would say learning cues. So in particular, the different forms that rejection comes in. And then as an extension of that, how do you deal with that? Very frequently, rejection doesn't come as a no. Right. People in general, they should understand that there are like cues that people will give you that aren't no, but they are pretty much no. Mm. And then you just have to be gracious about accepting that that L, taking that L. So if I could write like a book and, and you know, you'd have to teach the, the young men. That's really where it is now, kind of yeah, like where we're going. Yeah. Um, hey, you know, you talked to, to, to Julie and she said this. That means no. Right. She's being nice to you. Don't bother her again. Being rejected is not a bad thing. Right. Not right. a bad thing at all. And I think that that's something that if someone just told me like, yeah, move on to the next one. 
Right, right. Move on to the next one. Man, that's helpful in all areas. <laughs> like rejection is, is, I think, a part of life. An uncle said it gets you closer to the next one. I love that. And then what is something you learned the hard way that you are glad you were learned the hard way? Because for you, there's no better way you could have learned it. it. It wouldn't have sunk in the easy way. Be kind to people who are in customer service and in retail. <laughs> and I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine, and he said something about a, a restaurant. I said... Johnny, have you ever worked in retail or customer service? And he, and he said, oh, well, kind of. And I said, no, <laughs> you either have or you haven't. Right, right. And you just can't know unless you've been on the receiving end of, you know, that kind of vitriol. I think you have to be gracious in terms of people who are like helping you out. And it's so easy to just be like, well, that's their job. They should do, they should do better, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, it's really not that simple. Our whole economy is so screwed up that, right. you know, so, you know, just be kind. And my last lightning round question, what is a favorite thing of yours to do that has nothing to do with DJing or CrossFit or, or your other creative pursuits? I think I like to figure out ways that you can kind of live a, a smaller life. Corporations out there have figured out that we are industrious, mm. that we're industrious and that we hold numbers and ratings in high regard. Just trying to figure out how do you not get sucked into being industrious and not being influenced by ratings or marketing. Humans are also wired to believe in progress. So for me, I've lived in the same place since 2002. And it'd be very tempting for me to say, well, I, you know, I am 20 years older now, so I should have something better. But I like exactly where I am. Yeah. I can literally get anywhere within the Boston area within probably 25 minutes. So where I am until, you know, situations change is perfect. Why would I, just because of, you know, this kind of idea of progress, make the make a change just because I have to make the change? It's so easy to compare yourself to other people. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've got a friend who, you know, makes $10 million a year. You can't compare yourself to that. Right. He's an animator, right? Yeah, he's an animator. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Exactly. Last question as we wrap up. If folks want to see either your pictures of um, various superior to New York pizzas <laughs> or ask you to DJ an event or any of the other stuff you do, uh, where would you like them to look? Sure. I'm on uh, Instagram and Facebook less so. And then all the other things, I have accounts. They're all at Mickey Grouse with three R's. So M-I-C-K-E-Y-Gurr. O-U-S-E. <laughs> and yeah, I'm pretty reachable on Instagram. I check the, you know, the DM section every oh, yeah. so often. All right. Well, Mickey, thank you so much for doing this. It this was, was so pleasure. much fun. It's fun having a podcast as an excuse to be like, my wedding DJ seemed cool. <laughs> I want to talk to him for an hour. So thank you for indulging me in that. It's my pleasure. I love this conversation. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> you know exactly what to say. Hey, that was my conversation with Mickey Grouse, and I highly recommend if you enjoy dancing or music or both. I'd be surprised if you enjoyed dancing and not music, but, you know, to each their own. Go to a Mickey Grouse event. Invite Mickey to host your 
wedding, your bar mitzvah, your bat mitzvah, your school dance. Thank you to everyone who has been sharing this podcast around, sharing episodes that resonate with them with other people. Thank you to everyone who's liking and subscribing on their podcast app and giving it a rating and a review. If you haven't done that yet, please think about it. I stole this from another podcaster, but it's sort of the podcast equivalent of putting a tip in my tip jar. So if you appreciate this and want to show that appreciation, that is a great way to do it. I also really appreciate everyone who reaches out to me to tell me what resonates with them. Don't hesitate to do that, whether you know me or not. I'm always happy to hear from people who got something out of these episodes. That has truly been one of the most rewarding parts of this project for me. This episode was recorded at CCTV in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Thank you so much to the whole team there for being awesome at setting me up with a state-of-the-art podcast studio. Thank you to my brother, Adam Salzberg, for mixing the episode and getting it to your ears. The theme music is by Typist, Adam's solo project, who you can check out on Spotify and all the other music places. And we'll be back in two weeks with another episode that I'm super excited about and can't wait to share with you. So thank you for listening to I Love This Conversation. Bye. Bye.